TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I mean, I've done everything. Glenn Perkins. I've started, I've mopped up, I've closed. Glenn Perkins. We joke around and we have fun and he's different, he's unique. He seems like a guy that I'd like to ever do it. It's me. It's Glenn Perkins on baseball. Sweet. Welcome to the Score North Twins Show. This is Glenn Perkins on baseball. I am the host of the show. By name, Glenn Perkins. I got Derek Wetmore and Phil Mackey with me. I think we have some pretty interesting stuff to talk about today. Some of the stuff from really, I guess, yesterday afternoon uh, with the Angels with kind of the almost meltdown, not meltdown, like reliever thoughts, I guess. Uh, we're going to talk some umpire stuff. We had yeah. Guardian Town over the weekend, last weekend. Bri- and, briefly uh, for one of the games. Yeah, and then <laughs> uh, we're going to get into some stuff. I think that we've, we've talked a little bit, but it's something that the closer we get to it, the more uh, I think the more pressure there's going to be on baseball. It is, we're going to get into some robot um stuff later in the show. So yes. uh, to start, Phil, All right. so have at it. I want your, I want your insights on this. So I'll I'll be fully honest. I was watching the Twins game. The bases are loaded. The lead has dwindled to one. Mike Trout's at the plate, and I saw. And there was a close up on the pitcher, and I was like, "Hmm, are the wait? Are the Twins batting? Is this an Angels pitcher? Who was this?" And then like he kind of turned sideways, and it says like more more in more more who what. Who is who's facing Mike Trout right now for the Twins? And it was it was Mike Morin. He's been in the major leagues for like 140 career games and four with the Twins. And I was praying for him. I'm not super religious, but I'm sitting there like, dude, you're facing the best hitter of our generation. The bases are loaded. And if you don't get him, Shohei Otani's on deck. And I guess my general question for you, Glenn Perkins, is in moments where fans and media are watching something spiral out of control and a four-run lead has become three, has become two, has become one, and the bases are loaded and it's insert generationally great hitter here. For you, it might have been Miguel Cabrera or Mike Trout or whoever you were facing. What is it like for a pitcher in those situations? You know, in in my situation, like as I progressed in my career, I got more confident. So like I, I mean, even getting more confident in facing a Miguel Cabrera, and I ended up having success in some situations like that against him. Uh, I could imagine like if it was 2011 and it was my first full season as a reliever, um, I think my first thought would have been like, how did I end up out here? Which I think is maybe a thought of yesterday's game. Like, what was the sequence of events that led to probably their their maybe last guy in the pen, I guess, second to last guy in the pen, ending up out there in the ninth inning with two outs and a two-run lead, bases loaded against Mike Trout. Um, But that, I mean, there's a little bit of like, well, I better get the job done. And, (laughs) you know, it's it's a... Uh, that's a it's a hairy feeling. It's a it's a uneasy, but I mean he's not he's he's I'm assuming when he's out there yesterday he's thinking I'm going to get him out I'm going to throw him I mean he hit him with a changeup yeah um, and I'm sure he was thinking like I'm going to throw my best pitch in this situation and hopefully he probably gets himself out. So it wasn't a Barry Bond situation where, where with Buck Showalter and the Diamondbacks where he knew he had a run to play with and so he. Puts Mike Trout on on purpose just to not deal with him. It wasn't that. (laughs) Not based on how many (laughs) fastballs he gave him before that. It was like fastball in, fastball away, fastball up at his eyes. And it was like you could start to see this chess match playing out. And and Morin knows Trout. They play together. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think like in that situation, 
trying to grip that pitch and throw that pitch. Like you could just tell, like he kind of like got underneath it, pushed it. Like, I mean, obviously you can by where it went, it, it, that's apparent. But you could just see, like, like you get that, like. I would always get it like on a three oh fastball where like all of a sudden it was like my whole body was like numb kind of and I'm like I have no feeling like all right this needs to be in the strike zone and like you know that's why you you end up seeing a guy that throws ninety five throw a three oh fastball like ninety one because they're like I need to like get this thing in here <laughs> okay and, and that I feel like that's what he did on that pitch was like I need to throw this thing in the strike zone I think if that pitch was in the strike zone it's in the third deck. Oh so, really? Yeah. I, oh, because I, I think he was hoping to embarrass him a little bit. I, I yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, it, it just had that feeling to me, like I was okay. watching it, and you can, you can see when he comes set that he was holding that change up, and I was, uh, this isn't gonna be. This good. isn't naga naga this not gonna be. Naga, naga, yeah, this so, is. We don't want this. The so. main question people are asking is. Taylor Rogers is one of the best relievers in baseball. Why is Taylor Rogers not coming in? Why is he not heated up in that spot? And so I, I went back. I think I think the Twins must have some sort of early season or maybe long term policy in place. I don't believe Taylor Rogers or Trevor May. I don't believe either one of those guys have pitched three consecutive days all season. Uh, t- Taylor Rogers pitched back to back games. May 13th and 14th, yesterday was the fifth. So th- that yesterday would have been the first time all year he threw three days in a row. Uh, Trevor May has not pitched three days in a row all season for the Twins. Is it possible that they're saying, hey, it's May, we're not going to run you guys out there three days in a row and sacrifice what might be a September or October yeah, run of yeah. important games well, I, for you? I mean, hell, I think I threw 17 or 18 times in May in 2015, and <laughs> we all know go? how the rest of that season turned out. You yeah. know, it's uh, So there's something to that, and I think that that's something that can be commended. I think I think maybe you know and I and I talked about it at the beginning uh how did they get to the point where Mike Morin was the last guy in line and I think something that that's good that's happened that happened in that game was Blake Park, Parker pitching earlier in a huge situation he struck out Shohei Otani, maybe uh, Derek, you might be able to pull it up. And I, I'm, I'm looking at the box score. He did get one out, and I'm trying to remember the situation. Got, I think he and he might have ended the eighth, and then Hildenberger started the ninth. But that was a situation I think where Rocco saw. Hey, you know what? He's pitched a lot. He threw a lot over the weekend uh, with the doubleheader and all that. And I think he saw that as like, hey, this is this is maybe hopefully where the game is gonna be won or lost you're exactly right uh they got trout to pop out and then there's two outs in the eighth they bring in blake parker good morning good afternoon good night right and so that was like hey we don't have him for a full inning uh there's some guys on base it's still a close i mean it was a four-run game i guess but i think there was two guys on right and yeah, you yes. don't want shohei otani and, and otani's hit, hit well all week he's <laughs> yeah, right. he hit well he hit well in the, in the in, you know the whole series and so that's something like like you looking like oh man they need another guy but like they used they used one of their two best guys just to get one out like I'm sure that Rocco wanted it probably told Blake uh, before the game like I'm gonna try to stay away from you but probably called down was like hey if we need an out can you get an out and of course he's gonna say yeah and he went out and did it so you end up a little thin there but I think I think it is like that's something not to be like they need another guy it's it's that's commendable that like they're looking at like individual matchups individual games but also like how is this going to work out over the course of the season like we're 12 13 games over 500 uh we're there's a really good chance that we're at least going to be in it in september like like that's almost a foregone conclusion i would assume that they're they're going to be there in september they need taylor rogers they need they need parker they need these guys in september 
And part of that even is why they sent a Hildenberger down is, you know what? He's struggling. He's struggled for a little while now. Let's get him right. Let's get him figured out. That's another guy that we'll be able to add later on in the season. And hopefully he's throwing well and back on track. And they're looking at it. I mean, you, you want to try to win every game you can, obviously. But saving a little bit of that gas that's in the tank for later in the season, there's nothing wrong with that. So if they and, – and, and you have to – as a bullpen, you got to figure it out. Like you got to get. There's other guys have to get outs. You can't rely on no no bullpen. I mean, even those Royals teams back when they won the World Series, there was still other guys in those pens. Yeah. Like there was still Hoshaver. There was still Minor. Like they still had other guys. I mean, it was it was Herrera and it was Holland and it was Davis. But there was still other guys. So the starters weren't throwing six seven innings every time, and then those guys were throwing every day. There was still other guys that got the job done. There's guys that are going to get the headlines, but there's other guys that are certainly going to be a part of that team and have to be a part of that team. It's it's a seven-man, six-man, eight-man bullpen, and all of those guys have to help out at some point. They have to contribute. Think about this, too. So Craig Kimbrell's, at this point, because of draft pick compensation, the, the, Craig Kimbrell's not going to sign until June. But he's going to sign. There's like four or five teams that probably make sense for a Craig Kimbrell right now in terms of contender, need a guy, and would be willing to or have the ability to pay 15 or 20 million, and right? We, and we've talked about that and that's and that's not to say that the Twins shouldn't be or or wouldn't be thinking about doing that. In the situation they're in right now, the guys that they have right now have to get the job done. They need to figure yeah. out a way to get the job done. Nobody's going to argue that he's not going to be an upgrade. Nobody's going to argue that he wouldn't help us or the Twins or whoever as much as any other guy that they could conceivably acquire, like you can say us, certainly you can say us. It's fine. <laughs> you, wore, you wore the stripes. It's okay. He, he he can certainly he can certainly help. He would help. Yeah. But that that's not like it's your job as a bullpen to get for the next month and a half. The current guys have to get you to a certain spot where you can pull the trigger on a move. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'd so even let's take that a step further because what you're saying resonates with me that. I think of a bullpen as a unit of, what, 10 pitchers, 12 pitchers over the course of a summer shuffling in. So those guys have to get you to October 1st. But then starting on October 1st, you've got four guys. And four that you trust and that are going to pitch in the games, maybe have a mop-up guy in there by then. And they'll need, and I would say, I would say with the rotation and the bullpen, because I think we're all in agreement they're gonna level it's off. Happening. Like they're gonna oh. they're gonna play some 500 baseball for a while. The 2010 Twins played some 500 baseball for a while, but they've started so hot they can weather a storm and they can weather a losing streak. They're gonna be there, and now it's about all right. How do you not blow out Taylor Rogers in May? How do you get? How do you use the pieces you have right now to get you into a position where you can pay money and two prospects for Madison Bumgarner and Craig Kimbrell at the? You know, that's so, the, that's the dream wish list I would. Think. And I was talking to a member of the front office on Monday. It would have been. Is this going to be a scoop right now? And that, no, not really. Half just a scoop. More just a more just an observation from inside of the, their office and what they're thinking. And I said you know they're they're twelve games over. At that point, they were twelve games over five hundred. You play 500 baseball. I said, if you're sitting at 62 and 50 later this year, you're in, you're in good shape, and that's just just if you. I mean, and that's gonna happen. They played 500 over the weekend. Like you're gonna have a long stretch where you where you do. You might go 14 and 14 for a month. Sure, but you already you already got your 12 wins, so you're in you're in a spot where almost they can see in essence what what do we have here with some of these guys. That's why Tyler Duffy came back up. I I, I saw him pitch on Saturday. 95 96 with the curveball yeah. and he was getting the swings like and I talked to Morneau after the game he was getting swings on that 
curveball, like not the check swing, not like the full hack, like they just whiffed it. It was the one where they're like halfway through their swing and they're like crap, and they like kind of do like a weird follow through. Like <laughs> they, that that looks way worse than missing it by three feet with a full swing or or checking your swing. Like when you do that one, like you got completely fooled. Yeah, that tells you as a pitcher that 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 that, that hitter thought it was a fastball. That hitter didn't swing and miss at a curveball. They saw it out of his hand as a fastball. And the reason that they did that is because he's throwing 95-96. I talked to him after the game, and he had adjusted a grip on his pitch. He had worked down in the minor leagues with with um, the pitching coach and, and kind of just tweaked the way he was throwing. Those were two-seamers, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, and I've, I saw a couple of people saying as four-seamer. Those were two-seam fastballs. And he was throwing them. He's just throwing them hard enough. He was throwing it through any break that there would have been. Wow. Um, but in, in talking to some of the guys after the game, uh, another member, another another scoop. Here it comes. Talking to another guy from we the front need, office. Do, do two half um, scoops okay, okay. equal a scoop? I think that's how this works. Easy no, bu- but easy I, said, I, I, saw, I saw him pitch that day, and he had to go back down because he was the 26th man. So he's gonna. I, I, I looked at that person. I said, he's going to be back up really soon. And he kind of nodded like, yeah. That's kind of what they heard he was doing, but sure. like, and he he had been struggling down there, but um, they saw that and were like, we're we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to go ahead and find a way to get this up here. I saw it on Saturday, and that's the first time I've ever seen ninety six from Tyler Duffy. I mean, I've liked Tyler Duffy since two thousand fifteen when he came up and he had that great stretch at the end of the season where he had made like ten starts and he was just taking the ball every time and just you know facing the label, so to speak. He gets out Saturday's game and it's 96 plus that curveball that you're talking about perk and I'm thinking whoa they might have found something here like I'm not saying like missing piece this isn't Craig Kimbrell equivalent but if this is Tyler Duffy he's one of your four if that's if that's who you have and then to see him get optioned out I, I kind of scratched my head at that so well, they, it was good to see to. him really quickly well, back. yeah with that tw- I think that's that 26 man rule you have to it can't they, be another guy they like could have optioned somebody else right and just you know made made him the call up couldn't they? I don't know. I, th- I thought maybe they changed that. Well, it was when the they double first header. started it. The, the guy that they, the, the guy that you add, you have to send back down. So what they could have done, you'd have to go back, send a little him back further. down, and then call him back. Which is up. exactly yeah. what Wait, they so did. You can't, yeah. you can't, you can't call. A I don't think you can just up. be like, "Holy cow, that guy was really good. We're going to keep him." You, yeah, but you know what? Though they had Cole Stewart, and they could have made him the twenty-six man that day. They yeah. would have had to decide before. I think they were waiting probably with that. They were waiting on Martin Perez to see what he was doing when the, the baby with the paternity stuff and all that like <laughs> right. they wanted to maybe have Stewart there but either way they, yeah that's a, that I mean and so that's it's an opportunity for another guy and they have a little bit of leeway to work with the start that they've got off to that's he, here's something else that's amazing to me and I and it, 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 it's a, it's also amazing that we're now in the 10th year of target field but the last time the twins were in a true position in the summer months leading up to the trade deadline where you knew that this team was going to be there in September, October and, and playing meaningful games was probably 2010. I mean, I know that there's there was the wild card appearance a couple years ago, and then there was the, the Miguel Sano's first year where they flirted yeah, 15, with the wild card. Right? That but was those 15, were like, yeah. But that we... was an 83-win team, and they were maybe in the wild card hunt. Where I'm talking, you're leading a division You've got horses in the lineup, and you're ready to rock. Like that 2010 team had everything from Jim Tomey to Michael Kadire's career year, right? You had Pavano eating innings. This is the first time since 2010 where you can kind of survey the landscape leading up to the deadline and decide, all right, how what are we willing to give up here? What kind of like, who's off limits? Reliever. Oh my gosh! <laughs> is Seventh that, is, or eighth inning? Matt Cap, what's Matt Caps doing? Does he want, does he want to come back? <laughs> wow. But I so I I had actually heard. I don't know. Maybe maybe you can. It's been ten years now. 
I had heard, so it was the Twins and the Rangers in on Cliff Lee, and the Twins basically said, anyone you want except Aaron Hicks, because Aaron Hicks is the guy, and we, we can't just go dealing our top prospect. And it wound up being that the Mariners, um, the Rangers traded Justin Smoke as the centerpiece and got Cliff Lee. I think that's how it went in 2010. And obviously now, would you go back and... Yes, you would certainly have Pretty, traded Aaron Hicks it, it, for Cliff Lee. Yeah, and and it's 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 amazing actually, especially if you're getting a starter like even I mean Sabathia is another one. Uh, I guess the Indians got Brantley. Which worked out pretty well, but like Laporta was the big name. In yeah, the Matt Laporta trade. Like, okay, we were nothing, calling yeah. it the Matt Laporta trade he, at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean he he two years later I saw him in AAA and he was hitting 170. So yeah. it's amazing when you look back. I, I think that the reliever trades always end up a little. They can they have a, a tendency to maybe lean the other way just because a reliever is not going to have that huge impact for the last two months of the season. Like if if you've already gotten to a point where you're you have a division lead a four five six seven game lead that that closer unless you get deep in the playoffs isn't really going to factor in that happened because you get like you guys didn't need matt caps to win the division no and not then at he all. winds up not pitching against the yankees because it was you know should have used him as situation. an opener right and, yeah. and well and that's <laughs> so i mean you know i i think definitely like that's a good point like use him in a different that's what would happen in today's sure. game now yeah. maybe not with craig kimball i think that's going to be a hang-up for him where he goes i think he's going to want an opportunity to pitch the ninth inning but a lot of those guys i think you can acquire them and be like hey this is what we're going to do like do you want to pitch in the ninth inning or do you want to try to win a world series like it's your you know let's let's use you in the in the spots that yeah. it's best like that's a that's a change in the in the like the thought of the game but um you know you end up seeing those trades when you look back at them, when it, when a team acquires that starter, like and like even what the Brewers did, like you talk about the the little impact that a reliever has, they started Sabathia like every third day for the entire second <laughs> half. Yeah. And, and he's going to throw two hundred. He pitches. made like twenty six starts in like a month and a half. Like you know, it, it was like old Haas Radborn yeah. back in the day. <laughs> but um, he, you know, so those ones those ones end up maybe working out a little bit better for the team, which is something to keep in mind as as this season goes on. Dude. And then you you know Bum, you. Bumgar. What it boils down to is that prospects don't typically pan out. Like it's really hard for prospects to yeah. end up. That said, I'm I would still even even having learned the lesson the hard way with the Aaron Hicks thing, and uh, I would still protect Royce Lewis, Alex Kirloff, and probably Gratterall. But they've got a pretty loaded three through twenty in the system too. So like I, I just I didn't I knew that Madison Bumgarner, for instance, who's going to be a three month rental for somebody, I knew he was great in the postseason. You guys know just how great he's been in the postseason. If that's your goal, like get a guy in that's here. Sa- we're talking sample size stuff. I mean, he has, sure. but like, sure. But it's <laughs> fun. but the small sample size is fun. <laughs> I, this, I dude should, only, yeah, he's, this dude has pitched thirty six innings in the World Series and has given up one run. <laughs> that's ridiculous. You know what? You know what? I, you There's know what, no regression. D- d- I think coming. Derek and I are on the same page here. You know what we see is it, we're thinking regression, regression to the mean. To the mean. <laughs> he's due to give up what's some he, bombs. He, in the World I'll take his mean. Is what I'm saying. What's his ERA during the regular season? I don't. I don't even want to bring FIP up because it's this is a sample so what size. Is what you did. Bit. Let's yeah. use. Let's because he's been hurt a couple times. But let's just go the last three seasons. Like my grand point. He's is, like a low threes guy, right? Uh, his ERA the last three years is three point four. Yeah. So he's he's not what he was four or five years ago. He's only twenty nine, but he's he's also been in the big league since he was nineteen. So there's like you have to sort of time shift his career. But what I would say is. If for if for something less than your top prospects, you can get seventy five percent of what he was a few years ago and put him behind Jose Barrios, sign me up. 
Yeah, like no, I, I agree with that. I uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, I've got a hot take. I, I'm always go go ahead because I'm a, I'm so I'm always so iffy on that stuff. I, I never even as when I was on those teams thought that it was like super necessary. Like there's this part of me is like you got this far, like this is a good team. Yeah, him. like like you know what what more do you need? But my hot go take, ahead, hot take after I've heard this name come up a lot of times, and I understand if if national. Baseball writer guy floats a name. This is a trade candidate. It's something we have to talk about, and it makes sense for the Twins. But it's just this assumption that I want to push back against. Everyone's like, line this dude up, put him second behind Jose Barrios, and you're off to the races. Hold on. Reckless speculation. I think that if the Twins are going to make a run deep into October, they don't need to put somebody behind Jose Barrios. They need to put somebody in front of him. You're trading for an opener? <laughs> See what you did there. Hey, we got a nice young shortstop. Uh, Craig, Craig, we're looking to sign you. Do you want to pitch the first inning? We'll handcuff you to Jose Barrios in the first inning. So I think that they should go and look higher. I don't like if the Mets fall out of it, Noah Syndergaard. If Cleveland falls out of it, and we talked about this, Trevor Bauer. Go get somebody who absolutely pushes everyone else down. Now you're talking. That's a dangerous rotation. I think that's a good point, and I think maybe that's why I have reservations about making stuff, because it always seems like you're adding to that more to the end that you're not making that, yeah, like that. Do you want to add a middle starter? That's like going and getting, when when the Astros went and got Verlander. Exactly. They had Keuchel. They had McCullers. McCullers, yeah. And McCullers. McCullers was really good that year. He was an all-star that year. They had had guys like top ace kind of guy. I mean, hell. Bump or uh, Keuchel won a Cy Young, mm-hmm. you know. So that yeah, and they went above that. They didn't say like, let's bolster our. This is what you, you talk do. about, like, and that's what we talk about, Kimber. Like, like you, you raise the ceiling and you right. raise the floor at the same time, right? And if you get a guy in the middle, if you get a guy that that's going to slide in behind somebody, you're not. I guess you're you're raising the floor technically. Yeah, but, but you don't want to trade for a sixth inning guy right now. He's right, kind of the, you wanna, the you thing wanna, I've been pushing. You got a lot of sixth inning guys. They're pitching for Rochester right sure. now. That's fine if you just need to do that. But even in a, in a starting rotation, like you're, so you're going to knock out your your back guy. You're raising that, but you're not if you're not exceeding what you have. The, the you Kim- can kind of benefit on both, yeah, and burn exactly a candle right. at both ends. And the yeah. Kimbrel thing, like it'll be interesting. How much time does he need to face live heated up bats in June or July before he? Like, he's not going to come in and just be blowing hitters away. I wouldn't think. I mean, I'm sure he's having a great time throwing bullpen sessions wherever he is, but. Um, no one him, he'll come in and throw 103. Yeah, yeah. he's got a date circled on his calendar. <laughs> like, it's probably true, yeah. I know him pretty well, and he's he's wherever he goes, he's, I think he's going to be ready coming out of the gate. He's he's a freak. If Major League Baseball were like WWE, he would have come out of the bullpen to like the Undertaker's music yesterday at Target Field. Like smoke <laughs> coming out. Yeah. Oh my God. That's great. The, the, the roster move would have fallen out of the radar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wait, they, who's this? Jim Ross on the commentary. By God. <laughs> um, okay, we have to talk about umpires when we come back here to the Scorn Twin Show. Glenn Perkins on baseball. Uh, Ron Gardenhire was tossed earlier this week by his favorite umpire, and I know that we have had many discussions about just replacing egotistical umpires with robots. So let's sort all of that out on the Scorn Twin Show. Glenn Perkins on baseball. Phil Mackey here for Federated Insurance. Now, if you listen to the radio show, I'm a numbers guy. Here's a couple numbers that should really get your attention. 2.4 million injured and 35,092 dead. Those are National Safety Council numbers from 2015. Federated Insurance reminds us that these are much more than just statistics. These are family members, friends, and neighbors. 
distracted driving continues to be an epidemic. It could happen as easy as this. A driver approaches an intersection with a traffic light and they become distracted reading a social media post. They run the red light and collide with another vehicle, killing the driver and severely injuring themselves. So ask yourself, do you multitask while driving? Do you ever closely follow the vehicle in front of you? Do you find yourself checking your phone for messages while you're driving? Well, according to the Minnesota Department of Public Safety, there are 815,000 distracted drivers on Minnesota roads at any given time. Don't become a statistic. Make it home safe today. To learn more, contact your local Federated Insurance Marketing representative. Welcome back to the Score North Twins show. This is Glenn Perkins on baseball. Derek Wetmore and Phil Mackey are here with me. As usual, I guess, we've done this every time. Uh, we talked about or teased it uh, before we came to uh, went to break, uh, talking about some umpires in this weekend. Um, it was funny. I was sitting down uh, in the food room. We were kind of preparing for the, the pregame show, and Dick Bremer was down there. We were talking about Hunter Wendelstadt, and uh, I said, you know, Every time he is on the crew, he kicks Guardy out, and like it, it, you know. And then he, so he gets behind the plate. I'm like, he's like, I told him, I'm like, this is this is probably gonna happen. Like he's <laughs> something's gonna happen where he's getting kicked out. And sure enough, he does. Gets weirder. And it was it was a classic. Uh, Steve Little yelling from the dugout. Like I've seen this. You know, like I was sitting with Anthony Panta, and he's like. Well, what what do you think? Did somebody yell, did one of the players, or was he arguing balls and strikes? I'm like, I think Steve Little was probably yelling from the dugout, and then the ump took his mask off and looked in the dugout, and that sets Guardy off. Like, a, stop looking in our dugout. Like M80 on July 4th. Yeah, like, <laughs> like do not look in my dugout. And so Guardy goes out there, and that's why he. Could, but he's like, no, he's pointing in, like he's pointing, but like, like you know, something. I'm like, no. It's I've def- seen this now, like, one. Now, now I'm convinced it's Steve Little, <laughs> and sure enough, like that, you know, uh, thirty seconds later on the TV thing, you see the cameras on Steve Little, and he's standing there like with the sheepish grin on his face. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Hunter Wendelstead got him there. But then the second game, I was sitting there, and it was early on. Miguel Cabrera got kicked out. Yeah, and I didn't see him. What happened? I think he must have. I don't even think he struck out. I think he grounded out or flew out or something. But maybe he disagreed with a, a call from the from the plate. It wasn't Wendelset. Wendelset wasn't even at the. He was probably over at Manny's, um, <laughs> eating a steak. But uh, and I look down at the field again from the press box and I see Gardy doing the same like arm motions and throwing his hands up in the air and pointing to the dugout. And I I had like a a moment where I was like, is the is like the window out to the field like a TV screen like. <laughs> This literally happened like five hours ago, <laughs> same and thing. it was the same thing. And then, yeah. and then he doesn't get. He tried to get kicked out again. He did. He tried really he hard, and it. he wouldn't. But so the the ump ended up kicking Miguel out. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. Like the the these umpires, and like like you see it across baseball. Like somebody that I follow uses like the ump show hashtag. Right? Yeah, sure. and so yeah. like you end up seeing these, and so then I'll go like look at the video, and it's always like some. Little weenie of an ump that like like has like a like a small man syndrome or like I'm not as important as the players and so I'm gonna make myself known and it happened uh, it was up in Toronto actually that the the guy right before he kicked out the the manager um um Charlie Montoyo Montoyo yeah but right before he kicked him out he said you want me to run you 
and gave him like the pump fake, like he pump faked him, and oh, then wow. and then Whoa. threw him out. And it's like, dude, really? He like he like did. And you, you could actually see, you could actually <laughs> see like the like his the, his mouth when he said like read his lips. Like he said, you want me to run you or want me to throw you? I love. And it. he like he like gave like a pump fake, and then Montoya probably is like. Yeah, whatever. Just dude. After you. <laughs> you you suck. I love it and, so much. And then and then he and then he throws him out. And it, it's it is it's such an ego thing. It's amazing that that there's no and they have there's like zero accountability for it. Like it's super freeing to be able to talk about it now because there's like you can't like when you're a player you can't every time you do that you get like fined you sure. get and like those guys can just be terrible and face zero consequences like. Angel Hernandez has never been good at umpiring at at whether he's at first base or he'll screw up a a, a fair foul if he's at second base he'll try to overrule the the <laughs> base ump you know and and he's obviously the one of the worst if not the worst played ump but he just keeps having a job like they got a union and you get you just now ah, you you know you're sounds good yeah you pass your test and you're good to go so there's a website called let me let me give proper credit here um this is from uh, Boston University. Boston University today. I don't know if they did the study or if somebody else did, but I'm getting this from bostonuniversity.com. Last year, there were uh, 34,294 incorrectly called balls or strikes <laughs> in Major League Baseball. So I, if you do the math on how many well, it is per game. on a percentage or, basis. I mean, but on a percentage basis, it's like it's like probably 20 to 30 a game. I mean, it's like... Ten percent or twelve percent minimum per game. Well, they well well MLB tries to say they get ninety five percent right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, like that's been their like steadfast. Like these umps get they they miss their and they're human, so they're going to miss five percent of the calls. But they get ninety five percent. It's like on any given day, Brian or Nora might call like seventy six percent, and like that's not good enough. But even at ninety five percent, okay, let's say there's three hundred. That's still not good enough. Three hundred total pitches in a game, or something like that. That's fifteen missed pitches. Let's say six of them come in the eighth inning in a tie game, right? So. You know, I, I I do love these stories, and I think it's hilarious. The guard he gets tossed by Hunter. He's just got this twelve year vendetta with Hunter Wendelstead, and I love just those stories. Keep going back to the apple. That Angel Hernandez will stare into a dugout for half an inning, and I, yeah. I, I, before I forget, I, we, there is one other fantastic uh, Hunter Wendelstead guardy story. Please I think do. It was one of the first times he got kicked out. Um, guardy was out arguing something, and and. Uh, Wendelstedt says, well, if you're such a good umpire, why don't you come? To, you know, so he's got Wendelstedt umping school. His dad started it. Says, why don't you come to my umping school? And Gardy said, I'll go if you go. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes! That is savage. That doesn't yeah. surprise me at all that Gardy is quick with a and joke like, like that. Yeah, and like some of those, like I think like some of the umps, like he doesn't get along with on the field, but I think he likes him. I, I think he, he, he might actually not really like Hunter Wendelstedt. Like mm. there's... I think it was seven or eight times he's kicked him out. And Jeez. There was a, I remember a game. I'm going to Google this real quick here. I think this was during the 2006 season. It was like 06 or 07. I'm just going to Google Hunter Wendelstedt, Mike Redman. You would have been early Twins career here, kind of up and down. And if I remember right, I was at this game. There was a Mike, Mike Redman like slid into home. He was either catching or was sliding into home. I don't remember if he was a base runner or a catcher. And I just remember there being a bang-bang play at home plate, and Hunter Wendelstedt calls it against Mike Redman. And Mike Redman just jumps in the air and puts his arms up. Yep. And before he could land back down, ejected. I think like he Hunter might have Wendelstedt spiked t- his mask. But, okay. 
or his helmet or whatever. But yeah, and he gets tossed. That was the one time that Joe Morrow was DHing and Redmond was catching, and then we lost our DH. That's right. And that's why for the next seven years we had a third catcher. Guardy's phobia <laughs> yeah. was born that night. Yeah, that's we, pretty good. We have to have Tom Prince on the roster. <laughs> what, know that. what if Redmond gets kicked out and Joe's DHing? What Guardy, it's happened once in, in <laughs> eight years. And if it happens, no, it happened. Like, you'll deal with it for three innings, and you'll just get one tomorrow. Yeah. It'll, it'll be fine. Um, so what What are, like, how many, have you ever had run-ins yourself with umpires like Angel Hernandez, The one Joe time West? I got kicked out of one game, and it was after the game ended, that the, the ump was terrible in the inning, and I ended up getting through it, and after the, after the inning, I, I went, as soon as it got, like, the game ended, like, on a fly ball, and I walked straight. Like, walked right past the catcher and straight to the ump. Was this a target field? Yeah. I remember this. And gave him a piece of my mind. After you got a save and you... Yeah. (laughs) You might have given him all of your mind. Yeah, I did. And he can... I don't remember who it was. Um, I don't remember who it was. I didn't have... You know, I I, I mean, you know, throwing one inning, like, you're not exposed to too much, too many bad calls. And so I didn't really ever have that big of a problem with the umps. Um and frankly, like it probably be a little more difficult now if they're if they're tightening up the edges of their zone the way they get graded. I used to they were pretty liberal on the inside corner for me um, to those righties. Like I'd get, I would say on the whole of my that 2011 to 2015, I got more calls in my favor than than the other way around. Yeah. Okay. If so, it it's just a matter of when we have some semblance of an electronic strike zone that so so no long I'm not saying that we're not going to have a human standing behind the plate well, yeah, or, and that's and that's a, like the misconception I mean that's the way that they're going to at whatever point this comes up they're going to have to pitch it to the umpires that we're still going to employ four umpires like you have to have umpires at the base we're going to have like it's the same thing as replay like you could you could just do every play without an umpire right like you could do like if you challenge a call at first base a safe I'll call it first base you you still you know you're you're using the umpire's call and then you're looking at the video so you could just look at the video and skip the ump like they could show it up on the scoreboard who sweeps off home plate though well it's still, <laughs> and that's the point like Arumba. you still need somebody you still need somebody there to call safe out calls at like play, plays at the plate you still need them there i think to signal a a ball or a strike like i think I think you put lights up on the scoreboard, and they can look up there, and if it's a red light, it's a ball. If it's a green light, it's a strike, and then they either call a strike or they don't. So you're still back there. You're not actually calling the ball and and the strike. A a computer is. But you're back there. You're doing that. You're throwing foul ball, you know, the the ball back to the pitcher, giving it to the catcher. Like, you're still still as useful as a a first base ump is. Like, those guys guys still get overruled. Like, you you could do it. I mean, and, and... if they, I mean, yeah, you're always going to have to have somebody out there. So you're not replacing labor by any means. And so that's got to be your pitch. Like when you s- just first start this conversation with the umpires union is like, or if it's the, the, the players union with MLB is we're not replacing anybody. Yeah. We're just trying to make everything more accurate. One of my least favorite arguments is, well, we don't, Rob Manfred has said this. We don't have the technology honed quite yet. And I always laugh at that. And first of all, I think we just took a picture of a black hole, like um, you know, billions of light years away. I I just went to uh, technologyreview.com and found out. Did you guys know that uh, we have made great advances in robot dexterity, for instance? So robots are teaching themselves to handle the physical world. A robot can't yet be programmed to figure out how to grasp an object by looking at it, but it can now learn to manipulate an object on its own 
through virtual trial and error. So we can basically like tell robots with our minds to pick up an apple. But it's really hard to adjust the electronic strike zone for if a batter is tall. Like, well, I mean, and Snapchat has a filter that makes guys look like girls and girls yeah. look like guys. So, <laughs> they, so. so this goes all the way back to 2005. I was in the Arizona Fall League, and they were they gave us a run through. They were just starting to implement the the grading of umpires and how they were going to do it, and they showed us. Um, what somebody was doing at that, I don't. I'm sure it's more. Uh, it, it works a lot better now. But it back then, they literally had somebody on a computer. Like before the guy hit, they would they would adjust the horse. So they had a side angle camera. Yeah, and they would adjust the the low the bottom of the strike zone and the top of the strike zone with like a dotted line. And then they would, and then it had the the home plate or whatever, and they gave them a hair on each side. I think they do. And that was 2005, like that they were at least starting to grade them and like being able to like set up a strike zone on a screen. And they're having, I'm sure they just do it by computer now. Like, yeah. but, but they were doing that. That was almost 15 years ago now that they were setting that. It's, it's, it's all possible. Here's another terrible argument that I hear. You're getting rid of the human element. So two part answer to that. If you're talking about the human element of Garden Hire and Hunter Wendelstedt and it being more entertaining, like I'll actually listen to that. It is, it is, it's kind of funny when you get some emotions going and there's arguments, but that doesn't happen. You're going to watch 162 Twins games. How often is Rocco Baldelli? Like these yeah, current zero. managers are robots. Rocco's not going to get tossed for that. So, um, so the other part of that is, well, the human element for the you know for the the game that we've known for 120 years, and I say the human element to me is Glenn Perkins against Miguel Cabrera, and both dudes know what the strike zone is. And now you operate, hey, he knows what it is, you know what it is, and now it's up to you to drop that slider in on the corner or work the top of the edge of the strike zone, right? Like yeah, The human well, element is player versus player. And you saw it this week with the umpires, and I think this might be something of, of why this topic had come up. Just the way that the umpires this week in general struggled um, to call like the outside corner to righties. Like, it was literally a coin flip. And there's nothing worse than that because as a pitcher, like you get to two strikes and you throw that pitch, and you're like, all right, that was – you know, in your head in, in, in that split second, you're like, that's an inch outside, but he's been calling it all day. So you start walking off the mound, then he doesn't call it. Now the umpire's mad because you showed him up because you walked off when <laughs> you're you just like, pitch that. What, am I supposed to wait for his permission? He's, he's, he's you threw a and pitch and you're like, well, you've called that a strike all day. I, I know that it's an inch outside, but you've, you've called it all day. Or you see, you see the hitters when they, you know, Nelson Cruz is great at it or, or they'll throw a pitch and it's, it's a ball and he'll kind of just stand there and like sweep at the dirt a little bit and like, you know, he's not doing like to draw the line with the bat to get kicked out, but like he's looking like trying to sh- like make sure the ump sees that he's looking like, yeah, that ball's outside. And it's like kind of just like a <laughs> passive aggressive, like, yeah, you missed that one <laughs> again <laughs> next time or whatever. And but then you throw, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's oh, oh, so this is the strike zone. And then it's oh, two, and this That's is the brutal. strike zone. Yeah. And and this is the strike zone to lefties. This is like you go on Brooks baseball and, and they literally show like the, the, a typical strike zone to the, and it's a two different strike zones to a lefty and a righty. Like, that's ridiculous. Like I had, I explained that this weekend to somebody. Like up and away fastballs to lefties do not get called. That's not a strike. But you'll get two or three inches off the plate down and away. Like you see those lefty sliders. Taylor Rogers threw one to somebody, and it was it was like three or four inches off the plate, and the ump's just ha like strike one. And it's like you. I mean, that's a great pitch, but you you yeah. can't hit it. Right. There's no way to hit that ball, and. But then you don't get it. Then you don't get it consistently, and that's that's the rub. That's the part that I think that frustrates everybody. 
And I don't think you would find a player, like if this game is about the players and, and the players have control of the game, then do something about it. Like I don't think there's many players that wouldn't want that. So I don't have the numbers to back this up, but my hunch is a lot of you hear people talk about the most important pitches is 3-2 or 2-2 because you don't, you don't want to go 3-2 with runners on base. You hear that all the time. To me, when I'm watching a game, the two most important pitches that a pitcher can have is that 1-1 pitch or it's that 0-0 pitch. So like, because the difference between that, maybe it's a fraction of an inch strike on the first pitch of an at-bat. Well, even if it's Mike Trout, now you got 0-1, you got a better shot as a pitcher. You're at least, you got a fighting chance. If you're 1-0, you know, to keep going back to the Miguel Cabrera example, like that's going to be a tougher, tougher sled for the pitcher. That's a tough putt. So... When they screw that up, I can kind of see pitchers on the mound just like physically reacting yeah. to, I needed that pitch. Yeah. You're not going to give me that? That was a strike. And I think that more than anything is like what what drives my mind on this of let's get that pitch right every single time. Here's what's going to change it because it, it, something always has to happen, right? In the NFL, you have to have a horribly blown call in the NFC Championship game on the sidelines to institute – replay on pass interference right so in baseball and i'm i'm actually shocked it hasn't happened in the last 10 years where it's world series or nlcs game seven game yeah. six yeah and an umpire i mean these dudes the pitches these guys are throwing now 95 to 100 with movement and these umpires i'm not trying to continue to pile on umpires but they're flipping coins on these pitches on the corner like they're flipping coins with the game on the line in the eighth inning of a of a two I, I, would, right? I would i would i would like to say that that those bad calls do happen and i think that there's so many calls in general that you don't you know it's like the hand pass last night in the hockey game like that only happens that very rarely once a game twice i mean i i I can't tell you how many i mean one or two all season when i was watching wild games how many hand passes they call so that happens so then that becomes a bigger story or the the foul at the end of the nba game but when you're calling, like you said, 300 pitches a game or whatever, it happens, but you forget about it or you just, I think maybe more so than any other call in any other sport, balls and strikes have just always been so ambiguous that you don't, you don't think any, like you don't think. But it's like, amazing. It's the, it's the pulse of the game though. And we're basically saying the pulse of the game is just sort of like, ah, whatever. If, if I thought it was a strike, it's a strike. Really? Yeah, I know. And I, I, I don't, I don't mind. Like I, I think. I don't think it would really change anything. Having a having it called and having it up back there, it wouldn't really change anything. And players would embrace it, you think? Like what percentage of players would embrace it? I would hope that it's it, that it's 90 plus percent. It's common it's common sense. Um and I I mean, you know, 5 years down the road, there all the guys that played when I first came up are going to be gone. And that those are the only people that are hanging on to like the bygone era of baseball, mm-hmm. like when it was before replay and all those things. Mm-hmm. These guys now, I, I can't imagine that there's any young guy or a guy in the minor leagues that wouldn't want the pitch to get called. Like, becomes a thing where it's like, like it's it's dumb. And you've brought it up before. Like, if you were going to start, if you were going to invent the game right now, you would have a you would have a robot, you would have an electronic strike zone, like because you can do it. And the only thing keeping it from not happening is the tradition of the the human element. Hmm. And I'm fine with I'm fine with leaving calls at first base, leaving stolen base calls at second, whatever it might be. I'm fine leaving that with umps and then you got to challenge that 
have that stuff, have those guys out there do their thing. You could do all that. You could have like the, they do in tennis with the line when they when they challenge a thing and they show it like on a computer screen. Yep. You know, a half a second after yeah. the shot went, like you could do that on fall balls, super easy. Yeah. You could also that could also be the grandfathered way into an electronic strike zone. You say, all right, you, each team gets five strike or ball challenges per game. And yeah. Then you move and from see, there. I don't want I, I don't think anybody would be in favor of that because then then it's just then you're challenging one more thing. Then it's you know like I mean I even sitting there watching the games this weekend, Rocco would go out there and it was literally like, what's he? What's he talking to them about? Like they, you know, they've had a force out at second base, and he's like running out there. Like, what's he? What's he? Ta- like, you don't know. So then you're gonna go up on the front step and like challenge like the ball to the strike. Like yeah. it just it gets really then it then it's like. And do you save your challenges? Right, do you burn them and in the seven. Yeah, and so it's it's like yeah. I think we just need as long as we preserve some sort of an Eric Gregg uh, thirty for thirty on ESPN about the nineteen ninety seven NLCS. <laughs> if you're listening and, and you haven't heard of Eric Gregg and the nineteen ninety seven NLCS, Google the umpire leave? Eric Gregg ninety seven NLCS. Yeah, okay. it was Levi Hernandez. Call, he's, he's calling pitches halfway into the other batter's box. Just the ultimate um show. What are you talking about? I think that, that was the best pitch that game in NLCS be, history. That used to be like something we practiced, like the O2 fastball. Yeah, sure. Up until like. Probably 2010 when it became like, hey, let's try throwing fastballs up and then a breaking ball down. It was let's throw a fastball a foot off the corner, like to a righty. Like let's see if we can trick the ump into calling it a strike. Yeah, it's amazing. Like that used to be the like pitch framing is literally tricking the umpire, right? Like you're just trying to trick the umpire sure. into calling it a strike. Or it or the three zero bowling ball. Sometimes guys throw it's like four inches low. You talked about your body kind of freezing up. It's yeah, like, it almost didn't matter because anything you throw is going to be much a strike. Any, pretty much anything. I'm throwing <laughs> like, strike. Yeah, it is. Like, strike. It's, it's like an auto strike. It's, it's uh, the Score North Twin Show. Glenn Perkins on baseball. We'll uh, we'll wrap it up here shortly. All right, a couple more minutes left here of the Scorner Twin Show. Glenn Perkins on baseball. And uh, I'm just looking. I want I want your thoughts, and Derek chime in here, too, in the last couple minutes. The Twins right now are four and a half games up on the Cleveland Indians, 27 and 15 as we sit here recording this episode on Thursday before the West Coast trip. Which teams in the American League still give you the most pause when you're comparing the Twins to the rest of the American League? Like, what what's your American League pecking order right now i mean the astros are at the top it's got to start with houston I, I think that they're the best team in baseball uh top to bottom bullpen rotation their lineup is is on par with the twins george springer is absurd this season yep um i'm surprised at him that he's become a superstar he started slow um but they're there and then you got i mean man like I, the you know the the, the rays eh. Not buying it. Yeah, they're entirely. a plus sixty-two run differential right now, which is amazing. But like, they're not gonna. The if, thing but is, you can't you can't throw them out if you're gonna keep the Twins in. Like that's the kind of, like the surprise, like doing maybe better than people predicted. That's like, true. It's not like if we're if we're gonna sit here and talk about the Twins for an hour about how good they've been. Like you have to, you have to give them their fair shake. The the difference between them and us. Oh, sorry again, the no, Twins. No, totally <laughs> sorry. How many years uh, you pitched for them? If you, yeah, if you played, you're you're in us. The uh, the difference between the, the Rays and the, and the Twins is the division, I think, and that's going to be the separator for for sure. that. Um, for that reason, I'm throwing Yankees. The Yankees Red are, Sox in this. The too. Yankees are pretty good, and they've been hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have an All Star team on the on the DL, um, and then the Red Sox have, have started to come on. I mean, Seattle struck out 17 guys in seven innings the other day, which is no joke. <laughs> um, I, I think you got to go. You got to go Houston. I think if you went by record at the end of the year, I think you're going to go Houston, 
Minnesota, Boston, New York, Tampa would be my guess. So you're saying it's if I was going to power rank it, I think I would put one of the East teams ahead of the Twins. I think I'd have Twins three, yeah. and I'd have. When it's all said and done, I think the Red Sox should be better than the Yankees. So I'm going to go with it with the Red Sox. Say for sure, two. the Twins are one of those teams, though. I think after six weeks, we can say that. Yeah, they're yeah. they're they're a top three, and if the Yankees get healthy and keep doing it, then maybe they're four. But you know, they have an easier road to the finish line than than those teams in the East do. Yeah. If you uh, if you're into the Scorner Twin Show, Glenn Perkins on baseball, give us a five star rating and a positive review on Apple or Spotify. Helps us spread the word to new listeners and. Go uh, go check out our new Score North mobile app in either the Apple Play Store or uh, the Google Play Store. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, thank you, guys. Nice. We'll see you next week.